All right, so we're going to get going tonight. We've been doing a series on righteousness, and so I'm going to kind of continue that tonight. We're going to repeat a little bit of what's been taught so far, or the idea that's been taught so far, and then we're going to talk about the second part of righteousness. So righteousness has two parts. There's the part that's on the inside of us, that's, that's already there because of what Jesus did on the cross, and then there's the part that's on the outside of us. How do we walk in righteousness? So there's the part that's on the inside and the part that's on the outside. And I want to really kind of go backwards to where righteousness all began, and I want to break this down. I want to, it's going to be more of like a let's hang out and chat night instead of a teaching, preaching kind of night, if that's okay with you guys. Because this is a very powerful, powerful, powerful concept, but also a very simple concept. As I was studying it today, I go, holy cow, if we could understand a glimpse of this, it would change the way we live our lives. So righteousness, it's not about me. That's the title tonight. All right, and where I want to start is I kind of want to go back to where righteousness began. Okay, righteousness is right standing with God. We've, we've heard righteousness be taught as, okay, that's like the perfection of Christ. Okay, and we, sometimes I feel like I read scripture, and you go through the scripture, and you have these scriptures like, you're perfect, you're whole, you're, you're complete, you're lacking nothing. And you're going, man, does that really apply to me? I don't feel like God was writing to me when he wrote that scripture. And then there's the scriptures that, that even say more, and they're like, you're the righteousness of Christ. You're, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and, but we don't feel that way, right? But then we get to the scripture that says, all have sinned and fallen short, and you're like, that's me. God wrote that one about me. That, one, that one's me. I am in the Bible, officially. Okay, but where righteousness began, it's right standing with God. It's the, the, the perfect Christ. Okay, it's Jesus, and, and all that makes Jesus who he is, we're the righteousness of Christ. That the fullness of who God is and in our actions and our character, that's, there's, we have righteousness wrapped up in there. So it seems like such a high bar, like, I'm not perfect, though. I'm not perfect. And the Bible says that I'm the righteousness of Christ. And no matter how hard I try, I just can't achieve perfection. I can't achieve perfection. I try really hard, but I try to read my Bible every day and spend time in prayer and that doesn't work out. And I try to treat my wife right or my husband right or my kids right and that doesn't work out. And I just try to, you know, act right at work and, and be a good employee or employer or coworker. Or, and it's just hard. It's like that level of perfection we just can't reach. And, it, and it's difficult, but here's... Here's what I want to go back to. In the, in the garden, Adam, when Adam and Eve sinned, okay, that separated us from God. Okay, sin separates us from God, and it says the wages of sin are death. So we are separated from God because of what happened with Adam and Eve, right? Okay, now we are born into a life of sin. We are born into that. We're not born into a relationship with God. We are born separated from God. Okay, are we tracking so far? Okay, here's what that means. I have no power over sin in my life when I am separated from God. I have, I'm born into sin. I have no power. Now, we all have willpower, like I'm really going to try to break this habit, or I'm really going to try to, to not sin like that. I'm really going to try to be a good person. So we all have willpower, yes. We have the power to cover things up. We do not have the power to rid sin in our life when we are separated from God. Okay, we're all on the same page with that? All right, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. Man, we are awake tonight. Okay, and that says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Okay? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
Okay, so then here's what happens. When we say yes to Jesus, when we receive salvation, okay, our spirit man is now made alive to God. The righteousness of God is now on the inside of us. The righteousness of God, it's already in there. So here's what that means for us. Before we were separated from God because of sin, not because God like shunned us, but because he's holy. So he would have to compromise his character to be in association and relationship with us. That's why he sent Jesus. Okay, so we're separated from God. Now that I've said yes, I have righteousness on the inside of me. There is righteousness in me. Here's what the, the other part of that, that that means. That means when God looks at me, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as a result of your past. He does not receive you as a result of your mistakes. He does not see you as a result of what people have said about you. He doesn't see you in any of that. He sees you as the righteousness of God. Because here's, what, here's the exchange that took place on the, on the cross. The sin that we were supposed to be charged for. The sin that we were supposed to, I, I owe God for this. Okay, that sin that was supposed to be on us, he put on Jesus. The righteousness, the perfection of who Jesus was, was put in us. Okay, that's a huge exchange. So we no longer see ourselves separated from God. We no longer see ourselves as unrighteous. We have the righteousness of God on the inside of us. God does not look at us as a result of a mistake. God does not look at us. I want us to catch every one of these steps. That's why I'm repeating them and just breaking it down because when we get this revelation, it'll change things. God does not see us as a result. Okay, say the words to the person sitting next to you. I want you to look at them and say, I am righteous. Okay, look at the person on the other side of you and say, I am righteous. Okay, now look back to the other person and tell them that they are righteous. Okay, we hear that. It seems a little weird, right? Like, man, I feel, I feel really, really weird saying I'm righteous because how many of us actually feel righteous on a daily basis? Oh, I'm the only one. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, none of us actually feel righteous. So when I say I am righteous, I am the righteousness of God. It feels a little weird to say. What if we said God views me as a son or a daughter of Christ the same way that he views Jesus. Okay, he sent Jesus to die for us so that we are joint heirs, meaning Jesus is an upper heir. We are joint heirs. Okay, we are a son and a daughter of Christ, not like 37th down the line that we get a quarter of the blessing or whatever that is, 137th of the blessing. Everybody else got, no, we are joint heirs. When Jesus died, we got the fullness of who he is, okay? The fullness of what that is. Now, I want to look at another scripture. Let's go to Acts 13, 46, because here's what happens. Is everybody there? Close to it? Okay, I'll wait a couple more seconds, then we're going to read. And then, Larita, can we have that ready in the Amplified as well? And it says, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Okay, there's that part that, that we were talking about in worship. And it says, But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, 
Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And do we have that in the Amplified? Okay. So it says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out plainly and boldly, saying it was necessary that God's message concerning salvation through Christ should be spoken to you first, but since you thrust it from you, you pass this judgment on yourselves that you are unworthy of eternal life, and out of your own mouth you will be judged. Now behold, we turn to the Gentiles, the heathen. Okay, so here's what happens here. They are bringing the message of salvation. They are saying, this is Christ died for us. This is what he's given you. This is, and they got mad. And they were like, no, we're not worthy of that. Nobody could do that for us. We're not worthy of what you're saying is true. He said, you judged yourselves unworthy. And they miss out on the on eternal life. Okay, for us, I say, okay, how many of us have judged ourselves unworthy to go, I can't, God, I can't walk in the fullness of who you say I am. I can't see myself outside of these insecurities. I can't see myself in the righteousness that you said you've created me that, that I'm in. And I, I can't see myself that way. I'm not worthy of that. Here's the question I asked myself today. The challenging question, because I've been there where I'm like, don't feel like the righteousness of Christ. Pick a new representative. Like I pass, sub. I had, when I coached, I had this girl that played for me and every time she got tired, oh my goodness. She like play for a couple minutes and she's like, sub, sub, sub. I'm like, are you done? What is this? She would do that all the time and we'd start a drill in practice and she's like, coach. And so then we started just kind of a joke. So all of us are like, new drill, new drill. And that's how I feel sometimes. Like I'm like, sub, sub God, sub, new drill. I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. But we've all been there where we go, I don't feel worthy. Here's the question I ask myself. What does that say about the sacrifice Jesus made? What does that say about the sacrifice that was made on our behalf? When I say, I'm, God, I know you died and said I was worthy, but I'm not worthy. Struck me today because I went, man, that what I'm saying is that Jesus isn't worthy. What I'm saying is Jesus' is, his sacrifice was unworthy because it, it didn't do for me what it needed to. Because I don't accept what it did for me that I dubbed myself in the sacrifice unworthy. And so here's the part where it's not about us. Because that whole section there, we were focused on us and how we feel. Regardless of how we feel, Jesus is worthy. And it says in heaven that they circle the throne and worthy, worthy, worthy. We sang just now, holy, holy, holy. That that is our, is our life. That that is what we sing over and over and over. But instead, we spend so much time focusing on ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And if we spend our time going, no, Jesus is holy. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is righteous. Then when we look at Jesus, he reveals to us who we are. So when we look at his worthiness, he shows us how worthy we are. When we look at his holiness, he shows us how holy we are. When we look at his righteousness, he shows us the righteousness is on the inside of us. But when we're so focused on ourselves, we see it unworthy, then we begin to see the sacrifice that Jesus made unworthy. And we begin to lessen the sacrifice. But here's what else happens when we look at ourselves and our own righteousness, okay, is now it's well, I have self-righteousness, so I do good things and I can overcome some things. So then we're focused on what we can do instead of relying on what Jesus already did. But then here's the other thing we do, is that we compare ourselves. Um, how many of you guys really loved teachers that graded on a curve? Anybody? Okay, those were great people. And then there was some of us that were actually 
doing good. And we're like, why do they get the benefit that I don't? Like, I, I set this for you. You should thank me. All of you buy me coffee or something. Okay. We have those teachers that grade on a curve. But here's what happens when we are worried about our self-righteousness. When we're looking at ourselves and the righteousness that we can achieve is we're like, okay, well, I'm doing better than her. And I'm doing better than that guy. And I'm doing better than, than my parents did. So I'm making, making major progress there. And I'm doing better than my spouse. I'm doing better than so-and-so. And we compare ourselves there. And we're like, God, if you just grade our righteousness on a curve, then I'm doing real good. So if I can get those 10 extra credit points because that person is awesome, but that person is terrible, and I'm right in the middle, so you could just boost me on over and give me the A. Yeah, that's what we do with our self-righteousness. But what did we do again? We focused it on ourselves instead of focusing it on Jesus. Because then... I make myself judge of their righteousness and their righteousness and their righteousness. But when we are focused on the righteousness of Christ, then what we do when I see Maggie, I don't see Maggie's unrighteousness because I'm made righteous because of who Jesus is and what he's done. So I don't see Maggie as a result of what she's done and who she is. I see Maggie as I go, man, Maggie's righteous. Maggie set apart. I see her as a result of what God has already put on the inside of me. I see the God in Maggie. I don't see the flaws. And see, the heart of our church is that, and, and moving forward, is this be a safe place for everybody? We don't want the churchy people. Okay, we want everybody. We don't want to come to God. This is how I feel. Sometimes, okay, in our own self-righteousness, instead of being able to remove sin from our lives, we just cover sin in our lives. We cover the unrighteousness. We don't remove it. So my family vacations to Branson a lot. And this will all make sense. I'll bring it all together, I promise. I know it's kind of scattered, but I just want to lay some solid foundation here. So that's our favorite place to go. And one of the shows that we went to the last time that we went is called The Legends in Concert. Has anybody ever been? Okay. No. So cool. I can explain it. So what it is, is it features different people different legends or singers, so to speak. So maybe there's Elvis, maybe there's George Strait, maybe there's Dolly Parton, maybe there's the Backstreet Boys. We don't know, okay? They feature these legends. But when we go to the show, we hear their songs, and we see people on stage that look really close to identical to them. But I didn't actually see George Strait there. It was somebody that looked like George Strait that makeuped up sings like George Strait and sing George Strait songs. Okay, the other place that we like to visit is the Wax Museum. And the Wax Museum has all kinds of famous people in it and they look real, but they're definitely not. Okay, here's what happens as Christians when we try to have our own righteousness instead of relying on God's, is that people come to church and it's like Christians in concert, right? Okay, we're really not, but we look like it and we talk like it. And then some of us, because we're really good at covering our unrighteousness, so we can say all the right things and we look really Christian because we can cover up all of our unrighteousness. And then there's some of us that are like, no, we choose the wax museum approach because if I talk or move, unrighteousness is going to spill all over everything. So I'm just going to look like a Christian and not talk. Okay, that's not the heart for our church. That's not the heart for who we are is we want like the real of everybody. The real of everybody. We don't want the Christian. I don't want to go to Christians in concert at the feed store church. Come see what a Christian should talk and look like. It would really be a great tagline. We could advertise it that way. Okay, that's not what we want. We want the realness to be in our church. 
And that's the heart of, of us seeing ourselves as the righteousness of Christ is because we see everybody else in the righteousness of Christ. When I see Jesus for who he is and I see his righteousness, he reveals my righteousness, I see the righteousness in the people around me. Then I want to call out the righteousness in the people around me. I don't want to judge their unrighteousness because Jesus doesn't judge my unrighteousness. That's the, that's the heart of our church and moving forward is that we want to reach out and be able to, to touch everybody that we possibly can because we don't see their unrighteousness. We see their righteousness. When we're so concerned about who Jesus is in our life, we're not concerned about the unrighteousness in ourselves or the people around us because we're focused on Jesus. Okay, there's a story in Mark, and Jesus is, is uh, going around. The Pharisees are following him, and they're like, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? We don't know. Let's follow him and see. Okay, so there's this guy, and it says that he had a withered hand. And it said that Jesus looked at him and said, stretch out your hand. Okay, here's my question. Sometimes we come to church and we just want to show our good side. Or we're around people and we just want to show our good side, our righteous side, because I'm the righteousness of Christ, so I should act like it. And people should see that of me. So people should just see my good side. And how many of us come to church or, or live in the world around us and we feel like we just have to show our good side? So when Jesus said, stretch out your hand, it said that one of them was withered, meaning one of them was messed up, meaning one of them probably had some problems. But instead of this guy reaching out, what if he would have like gave Jesus his good hand? Think about it for a minute. What if he would have given him his good hand? Would he have received the healing? I don't know. I'd have to ask Jesus when I got to heaven. But I don't think he would have. Because he's like, here's my good hand. Here's my good hand. That's not what Jesus wanted. He can't heal what's already healed. It's not going to fill what's already filled. But instead, it says that this guy did. And that he was healed. Now sometimes because we feel unrighteous, even though Jesus said we are righteous. Sometimes because we feel unrighteous... We give our good side instead of the side that we need healing. Instead of experiencing the healing that God wants to give us, we give God our good side. God, I, I, uh, I'm getting really good at, at covering up this unrighteousness. Can you, can you help me out over here? And that's never what Jesus wanted. Jesus goes, give me all of you. I want all of you. I want to I see the unrighteousness and I want to see the righteousness because I don't want the unrighteousness just covered up in your life. I want it to be healed, removed, and replaced. It says that all things become new. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. We move on here in my notes. So we are righteousness because of what he did, not because of what I did. Okay, so we talked about covering this up in our own strength, so I want to just back up just a step. So the righteousness that God has put in us, that's the imputed righteousness of God. Okay, now how do we get that outward? Because then we say, and my dad preached this last week as he said, we can be righteous, but act unrighteous. We can act and speak unrighteous while righteous. And that's kind of a crazy question. We're like, okay, how am I righteous but unrighteous at the same time? It's like I'm two persons. I don't know. No, we're not unrighteous and righteous at the same time. There's imputed righteousness. God sees me as righteous. Now, that coming outward, backwards where we said at the beginning, when we said, we were separated from sin, or we were separated from God because of sin. We had no power over sin, okay? Now, I am made righteous because I accepted Jesus. There are unrighteous words, 
There are unrighteous thoughts. There are unrighteous motives. There are unrighteous attitudes that we can possess. Okay? We are still made righteous. But now we're going to get this into the outward part. And here's what we try to do so many times. Is that we go, okay, now I'm saved. I have to do this on my own. Okay. We didn't get saved because of our actions. We got saved as a response to Jesus' action. Okay? I am not saved because of my action. I am saved in response to Jesus' action on my behalf. I am saved because of what the cross did for me. I am not saved because I said the sinner's prayer. Okay? I have access to the fullness of what God is because and who God is and what he has made available for me because I responded to what he did. It is not because of me. I have righteousness because of who God is. Okay, are we tracking? But then it's like, okay, God, I understand that I have been made righteous and I understand that now I need righteous actions, so I got this. I'm righteousness, and then we try to take it into our own hands. Okay, that's not how God meant for it to be. Because what God wants to do, again, the best we can do in our own strength is cover unrighteousness. It is only through the power of God and the righteousness that's on the inside of us that we can remove righteousness and replace it, or unrighteousness and replace it with righteousness. Okay, are we all tracking here? I'm going to bring it all together. All right. Now, we're going to take a, a small, like, rabbit trail that's going to help this all make more sense. Okay, in the Bible, there's a measurement called a cubit. And I wonder, like, what is a cubit? And how does everybody in the Bible measure in cubits and none of them have a measuring stick? Have you ever wondered about these things? Like, my definition of a cubit is one hill. Your definition of a cubit might be, like, your donkey's leg. I don't know, okay? So what is a cubit? All right, here's what a cubit is. Okay, girls, it might not come out correct on you, okay? But guys, it should for most of you unless you have, like, randomly really long, oblong fingers and I don't know. But here's what I want you to do. I need everybody to go like this. I kind of feel like I'm on the Hunger Games. No, that's not what we're doing, okay? Four fingers in the air, okay? Now what I need you to do Put your elbow in a 90 degree angle, okay? On your other hand, keep this hand in the air. Your other hand, go a 90 degree angle. Okay, I need you to stick your pointer finger in the crease of your elbow. Okay, hold on. Okay, should be six. Should be six at the end of your fingers. Okay? There's a reason those of you that got five were not in the Bible. Everybody in the Bible got six. I'm sorry, everything I said about you being righteous is wrong because there's that. We'll see you next week at Christians in Concert. Um, all right, we got six. Okay, here's what six represents it's the number of man. Okay? Six represents the number of man. It's what man can do in his own strength. And that's why it's representative in the entire Old Testament that everything was measured in cubits. Okay? Noah's Ark in cubits. Houses, temples, whatever else they built. Cubits. Okay? Now, in Ezekiel, we find that God is having Ezekiel build the house of God. 
okay? I need a house, he says. He says, but unlike every other house, I want this house built where it's going to last, and I want this house built that it's going to stand, that generations will be able to come and worship me here, okay? I don't want this to be like every other house that's going to fall down. I want it to be a house that stands, and here's what he tells him. I want you to measure this house in cubits plus one width. Measure it in cubits plus one width, okay? Everybody that is a math whiz, how many is that? Seven. Well done. Okay, those of you that got five, I don't know what to tell you. Grace to you. That's what that number means. Um, Plus one is seven. Okay, seven. That is God's perfect number. Okay, so here's what this whole thing is representing here. You do what you can in your strength, but I want my hand on it. I don't want you to just go to the end of your strength. I want you to go one step further and walk in my strength. I don't want you to accomplish this to your own ability. I want you to go a step farther and accomplish it to my ability. Okay? They could have built that house in six. They could have built that house in a regular cubit. And it wouldn't have lasted. And then it makes the scripture make a whole lot more sense where it says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who built it. Right? Why are they laboring in vain? Because they're building it in their own strength. But then God doesn't want us just to go to the end of our strength in our businesses, in our marriages, in our kids' lives, and in any area of our lives. God doesn't want us just to go in our manpower and, well, I'm measuring my, my marriage in cubits and I raise my kids in cubits and, you know, like, cubits. I'm measuring. That's not, that's not what God's saying, okay? So he's saying, don't just do it in your strength, but let my hand be on that. I don't want just your hand on what you're doing. I want my hand on what you're doing. Go one farther and do what my strength can do. Now, that means that we still have to do our part. I still have to do my part. I still have to measure those six. I still have to do what I can do. I still, I still have to do my part, but then God wants to do his part. And he wants to take us that extra width and say, no, I want to do. Now, let's backtrace. So we were talking about our righteousness and how righteousness is now on the outside of us. Okay, righteousness is imputed on the inside. I am the righteousness of God. That's how God sees me. Now, how do I act righteously? How do I act righteously? And here's how we do that. We don't try to take things into our own hands and go, okay, Christians in concert, last time I saw a Christian, they acted like this. That's not how we do it. We don't just read the word and go, okay, good words. Uh, Good words, good words, good words, good words. Okay, we need to apply the word to our life, but here's what we have to do. If we do it that way, we're just covering up something. We're just covering up unrighteousness because we never dealt with the root of it. We never dealt what was really there. So when we look at, let's look at Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 really quick because we're going to talk about putting on righteousness. So if I were to come to church tonight, And before church, I really was like really smelly and dirty because I've been out with a horse that's been kind of sick. So I've been pretty nasty. And I just threw on these clothes over my dirty clothes. Am I clean? Or am I appearing clean? Okay, we're going to read right here in Ephesians 4.22. Keep that in mind. And it says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, if I'm not mistaken, that verse says to take off the old and put on the new. Correct? Put off the old, put on the new. So I had this whole like analogy that I was like, oh, I could just have people up there and then I could just like take off layers of clothes and I thought that would turn out real bad for the church. Like they were stripping on stage. It was crazy. Okay, Christians in concert. Um, But that's not what we're doing. Okay, so we have to take off the old and put on the new. Take off the old and put on the new. We do not have power over sin outside of Christ, correct? We've laid that foundation. So to take off the old means the sinful lifestyle. To take off the old means those areas that I have a hard time dealing with. To take off the old means the corrupt words. To take off the old means the anger. To take off the old means the lust. To take off the old means you can fill in the blank. The jealousy, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the strife, whatever it is. To take off the old in those sinful areas, those unrighteous areas of our life. Okay? To take that off. I have no power over those areas in my life outside of the power of God. All I can do and cover them up. When I do it in my own strength, all I can do is cover them up. Now we just talked about that extra hand of God, that he wants to be a part of what we're doing. So in my own strength, I go, okay, God, reveal to me these areas. Okay, I need to adjust my mind and what I'm thinking on and what I'm meditating on. And I need to adjust. I I get angry really easy and I don't want to be an angry person. Okay, I need you to help me deal with that. That doesn't mean I take it into my own hands and just decide not to be angry. That means God revealed this to me. Now, God, how do you help me? I want to be righteous. I don't want this unrighteousness in my life. And I want to walk in righteousness, not only on the inside, but on the outside. How do I do this? Okay, God doesn't want us just to cover it up with something good. God doesn't want to just, just like that man that stretched out his withered hand. God wants, I want you to, I want you to give me the anger so we can take that off and we can put a new one on. I want you to take that garment off so I can put a new one on. That's how God wants to partner with us. He never asked us to do it in our own strength. So righteousness cannot be established in our own strength. I cannot walk in righteousness in my own strength. We tracking with that? We cannot be righteous in our own strength. I'm righteous because God said I'm righteous. Now righteous in action means I actually have to deal with the old man. I have to deal with those things that maybe I don't want to deal with. Maybe it's that we feel like we've, we've dealt with them before because maybe we broke some habits, broke some addictions, broke those things off of our life, and then all of a sudden they come back up. Where did those come from? Okay, I wonder if they were removed and replaced or if they were covered up. Did we just get through it in our life? Or did we actually deal with the issue, remove it, and replace it with what God says? Did we replace that with God's righteousness? Okay, here's the other thing that I want to get to here. I'm going to give you some scriptures to read at home for time's sake. Um, But here's what I want to get to first. When we learn about the armor of God, it says that we take on the breastplate of righteousness. Here's the thing about the breastplate. There's a few pieces of the armor that you pick up in battle. There's a few pieces of the armor that are worn all the time. Okay, the breastplate of righteousness covers your most vital organs in your body. But the weight of that that breastplate is held up by the belt of truth. Okay? It's held up by the belt of truth. So we have that breastplate, and it covers the most vital organs. Okay, we read in Proverbs that it says that, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Our breastplate of righteousness covers that area of our life. So 
here's my, here's my question. So when I, when I walk in righteousness on the outside, I'm covering what's allowed to go in my heart, which then controls what comes out of my heart. I'm covering what comes in, which then covers what comes out because it says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. The breastplate is again, one of those pieces of armor that doesn't come off. That breastplate stays on. So righteousness stays on. I'm righteousness internally. We talked about that. But righteous actions stays on. And it's easy because we can make the excuse that, okay, um, I'm already righteousness. So I know I deal with these issues, but God sees me at righteous. He doesn't even see these issues anyway. Okay, but righteousness is two parts. But here's what happens when we do that. When we don't deal and choose to walk in righteousness, we have the power to do so. Because we're righteous internally, so we have the power to walk in righteousness externally. But when we don't do so, what we do is we leave our heart uncovered. There's no guard up. Has anybody ever left when we were in uh, Hawaii? There's these little, I don't know if they're sugar ants. I don't know, the most annoying little bugs I've ever dealt with in my life. There's everywhere. Like, I swear, like, they just breed all the time. Like, they're just like, there's one, I mean, 37, and 100 more over there. They just come out of everywhere. But we left chocolate out on the counter one day. And all of a sudden, these bugs were just all over it. And I'm like, that's disgusting. So I threw them away. And like, was, did not matter what you left on the counter. These bugs. Now, did I invite those bugs there? No. But I left something open on the counter. And those bugs came. Okay, our heart. Did I invite anger and bitterness and unforgiveness into my life? No. But I left it unguarded. Which is an open invitation for Satan to be able to make his home. And then we wonder why things come out of our lives. Guard your hearts with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Okay, so when we have righteousness, but it's not up, we have internal righteousness. I know I'm righteous. I know Jesus sees me as righteous, but I'm not choosing to walk in righteousness and do my part so that God can help me be able to walk in the fullness of who he's created me to be. Then what I'm doing is I'm leaving my heart unguarded. And I don't have to invite things in for them to get in. I don't have to, I didn't invite those bugs on that counter to eat my chocolate. They just came. Okay? I don't have to invite Satan. Nobody, has anybody ever invited Satan into your heart? Like, please give me unforgiveness, anger, bitterness. I want to be bitter. We don't invite that. But all of us have probably prayed, why am I so angry? Why am I so bitter? Why am I so jealous? Because we left this unguarded. Okay? Now here's the thing. Righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness is what guards our heart. When that breastplate is not there and it's just our own strength covering. Because I didn't rely on God's strength to do this. I, on my own strength, I covered up that unrighteousness. I didn't deal with it. We are still left unguarded. We are still left unguarded. We wonder, I'm like, gosh, why, how do we get offended so easily? How did I get angry so easily? How, why, I'm just so, my, my marriage, I don't know what's going on in my marriage. I don't know what's going on with my kids all of a sudden. We left that area unguarded. We didn't deal with it. In our own strength, we covered it up, but we didn't deal with the issue so that righteousness could guard us. Here's the thing with righteousness, is that it is held up by truth. It's held up by truth. And when you study out the belt of truth and what it means, you know, when you take a, like a $100 bill or any dollar bill for that matter, but you hold it up to the light to make sure it's real, okay, that's what it does. And so I wonder what's held up 
by that truth? Does it go, oh, that's not real righteousness, that's yours. Or does it go, that's real righteousness, that's from God. I'm going to hold that up in your life. I can be righteous because truth says I can be righteous. I can walk in righteousness because I dealt with that, and now God has replaced that with righteousness, and now it's held up by truth guarding my heart in my life. Does that make sense? Okay, righteousness, and I know we're just kind of discussing, and there's not a lot of bullet points and outlines and such, but righteousness, something so simple, but yet something so very powerful in our lives that it covers, it guards our heart. That not only can I see myself as righteous, but I can walk in that righteousness that God has called me to walk in. That I can walk according to the word. That I can think according to the word. Because just because we do unrighteous things does not make us unrighteous. But because God has created us righteous means we can do righteous things and walk in righteousness. It's not about us It's about God. Now, if we take that and go, okay, because some of us are like, I don't want to deal with that anger because I'm okay with it being there because let me tell you what they did and I'll tell you why I'm angry. You laugh, but you've all done it. (laughs) Okay? We we don't want to deal with that. Okay, here's the thing. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Jesus made us righteous. And so as a response to who Jesus is, as a response to what Jesus did for me, I choose to walk in righteousness. It's not about me like, God, look at this great deal. Do you see me forgiving so-and-so? I expect extra favor this month. God's like, it's not about you. I already put that righteousness on the inside of you. But we want it to be about us, but it's not. And so we have the power to walk in righteousness. It's our choice to walk in righteousness. But we have the choice to walk in righteousness. Do we not walk in righteousness? We leave our heart unguarded. There's not a one or the other here. We either walk in righteousness or we don't walk in righteousness. But when we walk in righteousness, it guards our heart. When we don't walk in righteousness, it doesn't. Does that make sense? All right, will you stand with me?